Welcome to the Miles Pike Podcast, a podcast that strives to foster excellence in gospel music, both on the stage and in the local church, through conversations. I'm your host, Miles Pike. I'm hoping to probe into the lives and minds of gospel artists, industry legends, and some frontline people on the worship scene. Guests include fellow artists, pastors, session players, producers, songwriters, comedians, radio personalities, and theologians. Subscribe to not miss an episode. Share on social media with the musicians, pastors, and music ministers in your life. And please rate and comment to help take us all the way to being able to say that dozens and dozens are listening. Thank you for taking time to join in on the conversation. Now on to the program. There are a few transformative moments in my life that I can point to where there was a major shift in thinking, habits, or belief. When those happen, you tend to remember them. And it is not hyperbole to say that hearing Michael Card's music for the first time was one of those moments. To say I binged it is to put it lightly. It has been several years, and he is still one of the most listened to artists in my rotation. Aside from the extremely wide scope of his musical prowess, the clarity of his voice, and the range of the subjects that he covers, what drew me to him is my love for the scriptures, and thus my great joy when it is portrayed with such poetic artistry. There's not many people who I was just in awe of as I shook their hand, but as we were in concert together and working in the studio on some projects, I have found him to be the outworking of his lyrics, full to the measure of Christ. And it is my joy to share with you this conversation that we had. We had a very full and broad discussion, and I felt it best to break this one into two parts. The first half is dealing with more the biographical angle of his life and analyzing his approach to making albums and writing songs. The next episode will cover more about the life of Christ, biblical worship, and some really intriguing hermeneutics. Well, I am so excited this morning to have the one, the only, Michael Card on the phone with me. Been looking forward to this for a long time and so very grateful uh, that he's been generous with his time to share uh, some insights and thoughts with us about the topic of worship and Christian music. How are you this morning, Michael? I'm doing really well, Miles. How are you? Doing, doing good. Uh, excited to talk with you. This, um, you know, we've had opportunity to talk a little bit, but this will be a little more of a of a formal uh, opportunity for me to lay out a lot of the questions that I didn't throw out at the time. So, really looking forward to it. Um, but I, I know a lot of people are probably tuning in because they recognized your name from the Christian music circles. But I want to start off with just kind of an overview of your background, family history. How did you end up, um, you know, doing what you do? Well, uh, both my grandfathers were ministers. So, you know, there, there's that kind of in my DNA. Um, one mm-hmm. of them uh, was at, at First Baptist in Knoxville for 40 some odd years, and he was a really remarkable guy. He's the person that I've kind of looked to and, uh, in a way, sort of try, tried to be like. His name was Fred Brown. Um, That's a long stretch, 40 years, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, he was, and he was an amazing guy. He integrated his church in 1930. Uh, so he was, I mean, he was, uh, he fought for the poor and, you know, took care of, just was, he was kind of the paradigm of what a pastor ought to be. And uh, when I go to Knoxville, it used to be I'd go to Knoxville and I'd still run into people who'd, who'd known him, older people. Now, of course, there's, there's nobody that that remembers him, which is kind of sad. But yeah. um, so he was he was kind of the paradigm for me. And then uh, when I went to school, I was discipled by one of my professors, a guy named William Lane, and he's the mm-hmm. first person to ask me to write a song. I would have never written music if it wasn't for Bill. So I'm I'm kind of the product of those those two those two men. Was your family musical? Yeah, they they are. Of course, we grew up in Nashville, so uh, we're you know all my friends were the the children of musicians. Um, I okay, up, I was wondering if you you know what where you were actually from. So yeah. it sounds like you were just right there. No, I grew up with Steve Scruggs and Randy Scruggs. My dad was their doctor, and uh, 
my dad played uh, oh, big okay. band big band music my mom uh, was a violinist my brother plays the blues and bluegrass and my sister's an organist in the church so no uh, you, you in Nashville you can't get away from it you can't get away from music <laughs> yeah. so we were always we didn't play you know football after school we played you know 50s music or, or bluegrass music we all had all kinds of little bands Oh, I, I love the eclectic nature of of what you record, and, yeah. and it's so broad. And I guess that's an outworking of your of your raising. That, that's right. Um, there was always someone in the. There was always someone at different ends of our house playing different different music. We never played together. We always fought about whose music was best. Unfortunately, that's not a good thing. <laughs> I, I've heard several people say when you go to Nashville that. You know, you can find a bum under a bridge that can play circles around the people in the studio. Exactly. Uh, but it's just it's just a matter of the stars aligning and exactly. You know, uh, you know that that break. And and so with yeah. that in in mind, like you know, you wrote a song, if I remember correctly, from a story you told for a class that I guess uh, Dr. Lane was teaching. But how did you get from there to a national stage? Well, I was uh, I was in school doing biblical studies, and my my hope was always that I was going to be um, a teacher like Bill. I just basically wanted to be like him. He was a, a commentary writer and a Bible, one of the best Bible teachers ever. His commentary on Mark, uh, John Stott says, is the best commentary in the English language. So Bill was this you know really elite, you know, great great teacher, and I wanted to be wow. that. And then. Um, one, one Sunday, Bill said, um, you play the guitar, don't you, Mr. Card? I said, well, yeah. He said, well, here's my sermon for next Sunday. I want you to write us a chorus. And I think Bill was getting suspicious of the fact that I you know, was just basically modeling my life after him, and he realized that I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do I would never be that. So uh, he asked me to do, <laughs> do some music for the church, and there were other people in the church that also wrote music. And then... Right when I was supposed to go start a Ph.D. program, um, Randy Scruggs, who I'd grown up with, Randy was starting a production company, and they needed a guinea pig. And uh, so I sent him these songs that I'd written, and uh, or maybe he, he might have, maybe he'd heard that I'd been writing songs. Um, and so he, you know, we, we recorded a I Have Decided and one other song. I forget what the other one was. Uh, but the purpose of the recording was to get him a job as a producer to make records for other people. It wasn't about me, but uh, uh -huh. one, one record company heard it and said, "We'll hire you as a producer if you'll pr produce the person on this record, you know, this tape, uh, this uh, demo." And so Randy comes back. Of course, I'm not going to say no to Randy Scruggs because he was my hero. And so that's how I started <laughs> doing music. I was trying to help somebody else start their you know, their gig is, is being a record producer. And he went on to produce a bunch of, you know, a bunch of gold records. I mean, he was very, very uh, successful producer, great musician, and very, just a very, like his father, Earl Scruggs, just very kind and just a great, great man. Now, for those that may not know, and to be sure that I'm thinking correctly, Earl Scruggs, his father was the one who played the Beverly Hillbillies. Right theme song is that correct right and and basically he was an innovator he he and in, he invented the way people play the banjo today the three finger they call it the strug scrug style uh foggy yeah. mountain foggy mountain breakdown it was the theme music to the movie bonnie and clyde that was his other big song but uh he was uh like like randy he was just this gentle sweet guy barely spoke above a whisper always encouraging he was so encouraging to me, everything I ever tried to do. Uh, and the older, it's funny, the older I get, the more I think about him, the more I appreciate him. I didn't appreciate him like I should have. He was just a great, great man. I, I didn't realize there was such a connection there between you two. I met yeah. Earl at uh, Stamps Baxter School of Music uh -huh. a handful of times. You know, not, not sit and talk with him or anything, but yeah. he would come... Uh, to what they called the hub mm -hmm. after all the classes were over and he'd join in with the jam session with just the students there and wow. it was just very very awesome to go and sit and listen you know yeah. um, very very quiet like you said very humble guy um, so yeah I've I've heard you refer to yourself I think your wording was as a frustrated bible teacher yes and uh, so 
what um, what seminary did you go to? You mentioned you were there for biblical studies. I, I didn't go to a sec uh, to a sec uh, to a, a school religious seminary. I went to a secular. I was at Western Kentucky University, which is a you know oh, just a state okay, school. Okay. But it. I got a, a master's there in in, uh, in biblical studies, and I specialized in uh, background historical backgrounds. And it was my degree was with Bill Lane. I mean, basically most of the classes mm-hmm. I yeah. took were with him. Just curious, is, are there any recorded, uh, you know, lessons or anything from him that you can access online? Uh, th- there are. Uh, w- w- Bill, when Bill found out he was dying, he died of multiple myeloma. He was the head of the religion department at Seattle Pacific University, and he called me and said, uh, I don't want to die here. They've given him six months to live. He said, can I come to Franklin and show you how uh, a Christian man dies? So he moved in with us and lived mm. in not six months, but 18 really good months. And during that time, he taught Mark. Of course, that was his major commentary. He taught Mark uh, one last time. And those are online. Oh, wow. You can go to, it's byfor.org, B-Y-F-O-R.org. And uh, once you get on Byfor, there's a, it's a bunch of, it's a, it's a website we, we set up to give things away, art and music and stuff. And uh, if you get, go to that buy4.org website and, and, and search for Bill Lane, there's 13 one-hour sessions of him teaching Mark, and it is absolutely brilliant. I, I'm, I'm so glad that I asked. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, amazing. it's amazing nowadays what is online that you don't know about unless you go yeah. and search for it specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just curious how you'll, you'll answer this, but do you feel like you're – music has been an outlet for you to teach the Bible. Yeah, that that's I think that's what's helpful about it. It's a it's a it's a bridge over to, you know, a particular passage in the Bible. You know, you hear this lyric and you go, where in the world did he get that from? And um Yeah. yeah. And that's I mean that's really kind of how it works. I mean that's that's the greatest strength and the greatest weakness. It was it for for people like you and me it's a great strength because it, it's it's opens up to the to the Bible, but in the in the, the commercial world, it wasn't always such a good thing. I remember I'd, I'd written an album on Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, one time, and one of the yep. guys at the record company said, "Is there any way we can not let people know this album is about Hebrews? Because nobody likes the book of Hebrews." Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, I, had, I kind of dealt with that for years and years. So I was sort of the. I don't know the we call the redhead stepchild or whatever of you know because I I just want to talk about the Bible you know I just want to talk about the Bible. Well, that that's that's a great a great album. Um, I've I've done my best to uh, to find all your albums, even uh-huh. the ones that are out of print and uh, and everything since we came across your music probably seven or eight years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, anyway, I don't I haven't binged much on uh, on many things but once I, f- I found it I went one to find every single song and I know I'm missing a few but uh-huh. um, well I don't anyway. I know I, I don't have all of them so don't feel bad <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah. my my current nightmare is people come up oh I'm your biggest fan I have all your records I go really what's the last one you got and it's they'll say you know 1995 or something I said well there's been about 20 since then that you don't you don't know about <laughs> Well, I've got all the newer ones. That some of the older ones, I have trouble chasing down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm th- I'm listening to your story, and it's it's kind of uh, uh, reminding me of of where I find myself. You know, doing things that I never thought I would do, yeah. and kind of how how God puts us over a barrel and says, "Hey, this is what you're doing now." Yep. And um, it's very. It's it's painful sometimes to watch him work in that way, and you know it's him, and you know he's doing it. Yeah, uh, but it is a, a painful process at, at times. Um, but that's just interesting to see the, the the parallels in the way you told that. But yeah, Bill um, Bill Lane used to have this wonderful quote. He would say, "You should always work at the level of your own inadequacy, so that if the Lord doesn't show <laughs> up to help you, you'll fail miserably." And yeah. That that that's I think that's part of what you're talking about the uncomfortable. He calls you into these areas where if if you don't trust him, you're going to fail miserably. I mean that's kind of the sweet spot. That's where you should be. Mm. Yeah, kind of like 
Peter on the water. He was right. he was uh, on the top of it for a while, exactly. but Jesus ultimately caught him. <laughs> yeah, talk about the level of your own inadequacy. Yeah, defying gravity. I would say that's a that's a pretty tall order. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sure um, that you've written most of your own music, but what percentage has someone else written? Is I mean, is there are there any uh, number that's worth mentioning? Um, there's 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 a lot. I've, I'm I'm pretty much I pretty much always write the words, uh, but I've worked with some uh, uh, I don't know maybe a dozen people over the years. I mean, I, Randy Scruggs and I wrote some songs together on the first couple of records. Um, he wrote, you know, he would mm-hmm. get the music. Uh, uh, there's a, 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 a keyboardist that I toured with for a long time named Scott Brazier. If there's a real pretty, somewhat complicated melody, that's Scott Brazier because I don't, I can't write pretty complicated melodies. My, you know, I'm three chords and, you know, bridge kind of guy. Um, Scott Rowley wow. is another guy, my one of really my best friend. We wrote a lot of songs together, and he would usually have the music. Uh, if I co-write with somebody, almost it's uh, the the music is comes from them. I'm trying to think of who else, uh, but Scott Brazier okay. and Scott Rowley okay. are the two major ones. Yeah, I've heard you mention those names, and I know you've mentioned Jenny Owen Jenny, yeah, uh, before. Yep. yep. And, uh, but yeah, it's I, the, the co-writers. I wasn't sure if it was you know your words and their lyrics, or if it was kind of a you know them helping with the the words as well yeah but that's that's very cool and I, I do love your melodies they're they're very uh singable i think yeah. a lot of it strikes me a lot of i guess i'd say contemporary artists their their melodies are not friendly to sing along with you know the the chords even though there there's very few chords yeah generally they're hard to follow and yeah. i really don't i talked with jeff taylor on the podcast ah. about this you know how can you have three chords in a song and it be so stupid hard to follow <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course you know he went off on that yeah well he's he's a genius he's i think he's arguably the best musician in nashville uh and and, the, and and without a question, he's the nicest person in Nashville. Jeff is just—he's my hero. I love that guy. He's he's fantastic yeah. uh, on the on the podcast. We got into some some funny stuff. Matter of fact, you may want to go and listen to his interview because he told a couple of stories on you. I'm sure he uh, did. <laughs> <laughs> so you can return the favor later on if you'd like. But um, um, but I've I've interviewed a wide variety of people from artists to songwriters to theologians and and even session players but uh, a lot of them that I've talked with they talk about the process of writing a sermon what they go through um but is there a process for writing a song that you could distill for us like are there are there certain ingredients that you feel every great gospel song has got to have I I, I don't know if I can because in in one way they all happen differently. Sometimes it's a little bit of a, a phrase that you really like that you, you know, you read from some, you know, Beekner or some uh, writer that you, you know, regularly steal ideas from. Um, uh, sometimes it's that. Sometimes it'll be a little bit of a melody, you know. So it, it always starts with a little piece of something. Sometimes it starts with uh, just you're excited about an idea and you don't even know how to communicate it and you you know you start moving words around on a page um i've got a book of uh of lines that i've collected over the years that um so i'll if i if i get a a theme a topic you know like baptism or something so i'll I'll look through all my lines and see if there are any lines that'll that uh you know would fit in the song about that that topic sometimes that it's it's a matter of doing that Sometimes they come really quickly in 10 minutes, as quick as you can write them down. Sometimes they take, I have one song that took two years to hammer out and finally, you know, get, you know, close to being right. So, no, I, I, I really don't, I, I wish I had a method or an outline of doing it. Um, I do think that, right, I mean, I'm, I think I'm done. I'm 64 years old. I've written 450 songs. And unless the Lord, you know, just gives gives me one, which I'm, you know, if He wants me to, that's part of my calling. I'll do it. But I think I'm. I think I may be done. Which is, um, that's an interesting perspective to look back on, on, uh, 
on that many songs and then at the same time feel like you you really haven't done much it's a weird thing maybe it's a, that's a maybe that's my mother still talking to me you know <laughs> <laughs> the, you, I, I i hope go ahead no well you know you know is your arm broken open the door for that lady you know has the word please crept into your limited little vocabulary that's my mother speaking to me constantly out to, you know throughout the day <laughs> has the word please crept into your limited little vocabulary yes ma'am <laughs> I may have to use that on our toddlers because oh, it's a good we've one. got a three and a half year old that as soon as she could talk, we started with please, yes. thank you, uh-huh. you're welcome, all that. And it's still like you have to look at her like, yeah, what, I, I, there's something missing here. I and that's said, after thousands and thousands of right. times. Well, exactly. Well, I, I say yes, ma'am, to the little girls at McDonald's, right? I'm yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I, <laughs> I apologize to inanimate. I'll, I'll bump into a table. I go, oh, I'm sorry. You know. <laughs> but uh <laughs> that's great my mom yeah mom and and she you know my, my dad supported what i did he didn't understand it because it was a big band jazz but my mother was the one who always loved everything i did and she she's got me my first guitar you know and, and she got me a really good guitar i started out with a really good guitar and um i don't know miss her yeah mm-hmm you know, I wasn't planning on mentioning this, but uh, I, and I don't even remember where I heard it. It was one of those times I think it went by on radio, uh-huh. probably when you were doing your um, uh, in the studio with Michael Card, and I, I was a DJ at KBJS, and it used to come on right after I, my shift was over. Uh-huh. And um, anyway, I, I don't even remember the name of it, but I remember I just wept because it was so good. But it was a song you wrote to your dad. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I have not been able to find it because I just don't know the yeah the, the name or the lyrics or anything. It's probably, uh, it's called Underneath the Door because I used to talk to him underneath the door when I was little. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I will, I think I will be looking that up. Yeah. Um, but going back to what your mother said and how you feel about the songs, I, uh, I haven't heard this song in a long time, but Rich Mullins is another favorite of mm-hmm. ours because with his songs and Andrew Peterson's and Buddy Green's and with mm-hmm. yours, it's like you can listen to them a hundred times and you'll still catch a line or a phrase that's like, oh, wow, how did I miss that? Uh-huh. Um, but he had one line, you know, so much work had been done and so much so much work left to do. Yeah when so much work had already been done, something like that. And it's like, that is life. You know, it's like we, we just finished a kitchen remodel and, and I say finish, there's always these little things. Oh, we forgot to do that. And this little touch up here. And then, and then we find out, you know, that, uh, after 12 years on 30 year shingles, because of a mistake, the way that the guys put them up, we've got a thousand dollar repair that we've got to do. And it's like, Oh my word. And, uh, you know, just things around the house and things for the ministry and things on the computer. Got to update this. You can do that. And it really is a constant reminder that no matter how hard we work for the Lord, it's really all in his hands because you'll never get it all done. Right. So (laughs) I'm a little... uh, (laughs) A little uh, sad to hear that that feeling does not necessarily go away, <laughs> even no. at uh, at the end of such a, uh, a stellar uh, career in, in ministry. But which I know you're still putting out stuff, and I, I look forward to uh, to more. I hope the Lord does give you those songs. Yeah, it, yeah, and if He does, I'll be obedient. I'll write them down. But mo- mostly, what I do now is books, and uh, I'm working on a book on the life of Jesus now. Every every detail of the life of Jesus and what it means. So. That's been fun. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, if he if he gives them to you and you don't know what to do with them, shoot some my way. I will. <laughs> I will. I'll, send, I'll email it right to you. All right. Um, but when you're, well, let me ask you this way: Is it grueling to come up with a new idea, or there are there more than you know what to do with? And I don't just mean in terms of writing songs. So you can look back yeah. on that and kind of answer for other writers that may be listening, but. I mean, in, t- in terms of, of a book, is it, uh, I mean, is your book like a uh, hundred pages long and they're all full or is it kind of something that you have to sit down? Okay. I'm going to write, but I don't know what I'm going to write about yet. 
No, the 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 ideas for the books. That's the easy part. That's it's the it's the execution that's the hard part. Same thing with songs. You know, I could come up with ideas. Boy, it'd be great to write a song about this. You know, and and you know, some part of Jesus' life or something from Scripture. The hard part is in is kind of giving birth to it, and and that's uh, and that never got easier. In fact, it's. Uh, the, the the common experience I had after I'd finished writing a song, I'd I'd pu- push back and say, "I'm never I'm never going to do that again." It's kind of like having a baby, you know. I'm, we're never <laughs> we're never going to do that again, right? And then, uh, lo and behold, a couple of years later, you know, you have another one. But um, yeah, the but but the ideas for for I could come up with ideas forever on uh, uh, on on uh, songs and books, but yeah, the execution is the hard part. Yeah, I've I've had in my life, I think, two that I can think of, maybe three ideas for a song. But I'm, I mean, I'm not a songwriter. I've uh-huh. never sat down to, to do it. But I, I think they're really great ideas, and somebody could really make them work. But, yeah. you know, it's like two ideas out of 36 years. You yeah. know, I guess you have to be actively looking. And, uh, and I feel like you, you mentioned something about, you know, you find a line that you want to write a song around. Right. I feel like one of the weaknesses, and I may get flack for this, but particularly in the Southern gospel field, which I, I grew up in, I don't know how, how much you know about it, but you know, one of the weaknesses is they will find a hook or a turn of phrase or a colloquialism right. that they will try to force a song upon. Right. Right. And, and you end up with, not only some hokiness, but uh, occasionally a little touch of heresy or <laughs> right, right. Well, that's you know, not just southern gospel shallowness. That's not just southern gospel. Contemporary Christian music does that a lot too. So it's not just. It's, oh, I know, I yeah. know. But I, I just think of it whenever I'm thinking of the hook. You yeah, know, right, right, the, right. The 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 line that you're kind of trying to force. And I won't give any examples because I may step on somebody's favorite. You sure. know, writer, <laughs> artist, or something, but you know who you are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when you're when you're working through a song, is it the early stages uh, that are the hardest, or is it the fine tuning at the end? It's the end. It's 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 finishing. Yeah. It's finishing things and making sure that everything uh, works. I mean, one of the hardest things for me is I've always felt like you should you should be able to take the words away and listen to the music. And from the from the, the the music, you should get an idea of what the song's about. If it's really well crafted, I think oh. that's how it's supposed to work. Um, mm. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's the that's always been that's always been hard. But um, I mean, it's 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 all hard except for you know getting started. I, I'm all, I always get all excited and oh, you know, can't remember the last song I wrote. I did last album I did was. Um, it was a group of songs around one one Hebrew word, and uh, mm-hmm. and I got so excited about you know trying to express and communicate what you know it, it's the word Hesed, which is translated like 169 different ways, and and so the, but the album ended up being an album about kindness, and I was so excited about yeah. that. And uh, uh, but boy, when you get right down to the you know ten songs. Uh, and, and finishing 10 songs on that, that's not so easy. Well, what's the easiest song you've ever written? El Shaddai was probably the easiest song I ever wrote. Cause, uh, I, I, so here, here's a good example. So what, what did I get excited about? Well, I got excited about, I read Paul, Paul says that Jesus was crucified in weakness, you know, and I thought, well, yeah, but mm-hmm. God got one of God's names is God almighty. So here's this, wonderful sort of uh, uh, paradox that the most awesome thing El Shaddai ever accomplished was through, you know, weakness because Paul says Jesus is crucified in weakness. And I was so excited about that idea. And that, that song just wrote itself. That was an easy one. What about the hardest? The hardest song was a song. That's the song I, I referred to a minute ago. That took a, like two years to write. That was a song called "Scandalon." And there's another. That's another Greek word. Uh, but it's uh, mm, it's yep. a stumbling stone. Uh, and so it's a it's a song about how Jesus is Peter. You know, refers to him as as, as the, the rock of offense or the stumbling stone, that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, and that one was really hard to to uh, 
to pull off without without becoming I don't know negative or feel feeling like you were you know insulting him or you know not being reverent or whatever. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that that was the hardest song I ever wrote. I think Scanlon. In now, this is completely an arbitrary question. So, okay. if you aren't comfortable about putting numbers on this, that is okay. Okay. But in terms of songwriting, what percentage ratios would you give talent versus Bible knowledge versus sweat? And is there an element I'm missing there? Well, that's a good question. I have to, have to actually think before I answer that question. Um, well, I can edit all you like. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it look like you came up with it just yeah, in, yeah, in, a, in a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it probably varies for different songs. Sometimes it's all about the Bible passage that it's on. And it's, I mean, sometimes you're just literally putting the words from a psalm or something to music. So in that case, it'd be all about the song. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it, it would be different. The percentages would change for each song, you know, in mm-hmm. some songs, there's a whole lot of sweat involved and some songs write themselves. Um, I would, I would be suspicious of anybody that would say, Oh, it's always this way. And it's always the same. I would, I would guess. And we, we have, you know, uh, we have songwriters in Nashville who basically sit in a cubicle and write, you know, five songs a day. My guess is, oh, you know, yeah, those are they're they're they have a a method, and, and that's not to say they don't can't come up with some great songs because it still happens. Um, and brilliant people, you know, write bad songs. But um, um, I would say that 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 percentage changes for every song. It's songwriting is it's like I mean like in a sense it's like preaching. It, there, there really is a mystery to it. If you if you honestly believe in the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit's part of the process and is guiding you and that sort of thing, uh, it really is a mysterious process that you make these sounds with your mouth and you play these notes on an instrument and it moves people. That's a it's a it's an amazing uh, thing to be a part of. I've thought of that. It's like, you know, to think that one of the things that God created, although it is not tangible like a tree or Mm -hmm. dirt, he created music. Yes. And commands us to use it. And yet it is, um, and, and, and you go into all the different cultures where Christianity is rich. I mean, Christianity, unlike you know, Hinduism or Buddhism or, or, or Islam or whatever, very much uh, geographically bound mm-hmm. as far as, you know, where they're from and, and, the, and the people that, that mostly adhere to it. But, you know, Christianity, where it's reached into Africa and reached into, uh, you know, upper Canada and, and mm-hmm. different parts of Europe and Russia. I mean, you're going to get a completely different experience musically, yep. but it's the same messages. And it's, uh, it's just, that's one of the things that I've, I've thought about. And, and you put it well with it. It's, it's kind of like that mystery of preaching. The fact that a fallible human can stand up there and, you know, and, and God does something yeah. through that. Yeah, and I think I think that's a cool idea too. The fact that you know in Africa they're doing this kind of a chant in in uh, Russian Orthodox, you know, up, up in Russia someplace in Siberia they're doing a different kind of a chant. Um, you know, over you know where we are, we're playing bluegrass songs and putting you know putting uh, Christian lyrics to them. Um, yeah, it, it not not just in all languages, but in all sort of musical languages that that God has praised. And you know the the audacity of some people to say, well, you know this this kind of music is the only high church music is really the only appropriate music, or gospel music is the only appropriate. You know, to say that is just yep. you know crazy because we're going to praise him yeah, with every very, everything we got. Yeah, very very ignorant and shallow, and mm-hmm. you know I always wanted to be a Gregorian monk, wow. but I never got the chance. <laughs> <laughs> oh me. I might want to edit that out. That's a little well, bad. Well, I, I was okay. going to say the, the celibacy, celibacy part might not have gone over too well, but you want to edit that out too. 
Well, and probably the first thing they'd make me uh, make me give up is a, a vow of silence when it comes to puns. Yes. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Brother Pike, lock him in his room again. Uh, <laughs> well, one of my great frustrations in this new streaming age is the advent of shuffle and how people do not listen through albums anymore. Mm-hmm. And I have waxed eloquent on previous episodes as to why that is vexing and I think a problem, but so I won't go into that. Um, but I would say the vast majority of artists out there have no concept of a concept album yeah, <laughs> or right. a thematic album uh, where one song leads to the next. And it's maybe it's my streak of OCD or like I... I, I like to call it CDO because that puts the letters in order. But since <laughs> <laughs> since you're one of the the few that I know has you know done it throughout, as far as I know, yeah, and uh, and a master at it, could you talk for a bit about producing a whole project that is linear, the benefits, the challenges, and 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 how the digital age has changed that? Do you feel like that is lost on people, or do you still find out that people are listening through? Well, I th- yeah, you just you just struck on a uh, that's a major nerve for me because in the first place, I think it's easier to write ten songs around a theme. I don't know how you write ten disjointed song, you know, completely disconnected songs. I don't even know how you, how you would do that. Um, so, well, um, I think I think a lot of the albums that I've heard, it's not the product of one writer. You know, uh-huh. it's like you said, the people that go into the cubicles and they churn out five songs and they go out to five different people. Yeah, and you know, and I, I guess I get that. I, you know, I get that. But for me, in terms of trying to say something and communicate something, um, I just I can't imagine doing the first couple of records I did. That's what they were. They were just disjointed, just you know, a, a bunch of songs. I've been writing songs for my church, and we just recorded those. Uh, so I had a kind of a backlog. But then, as soon as I sort of got on my feet, I, I wanted to write. Well, let's do one, you know, about the Gospel of John, or let's do one about you know whatever, you know, this 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 part of the Bible or this part of Jesus' life. Yeah. Let's do one on the life of Jesus, and and um, and to me, that that gives you this larger framework. And that you drop ten songs into, but I think what you're talking about now is with the shuffle thing, and is that, um, and I, I'm I'm guilty of this too. My attention span is is eroded <laughs> over over the years. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm about I, I'm I'm a guy who sits uh, on, when on my time off, I I don't look at YouTube. I look at what's on YouTube. I basically just scan down through all the different categories. And if there's a video that's under two minutes, I'll look at it. But if it's like four or five minutes, I think ah, I can't. You know, I don't want to look that long at anything. So I, I know what that oh, erosion is yeah. like. And and I don't know the last time I listened to ten songs, uh, you know, on on one record because that just that just doesn't happen anymore. But it used to be. Oh my goodness! The new James Taylor record comes out, or you know, whoever's new record comes out, and you would sit and listen you know, one through 10 or one through 12 at each, each one of the songs. And I think people, you know, we are impoverished by that. We, we don't have that, that, uh, that, that attention span where you're really soaking up and the artist has a chance to really say something, but I guess people still go to concerts and concerts, you know, a couple hours long. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I really, really hate it because I feel like when it comes to, you know, when it comes to my albums, I've pulled from every writer you can imagine, and mm-hmm. I haven't really pulled from from one source over and over again. Yeah, but I still, it's like okay, one album is, uh, you know, kind of hope for eternity. Yeah, you know, is the is a theme, and then there's a theme of of um, you know the grace of life, which that's the the title of one. That's the one that you were on with uh, one of your songs, and and then you played guitar on one. But but you know that's just all the graces of life. You know the 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 challenges that we go through, and the and the, the and you pick the, the songs according to that to theme. Yes, yes, yeah. and and then uh, I've got one that's um, I don't know. It's 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 almost a, a lament CD, and it's actually coming out, mm-hmm. but. I didn't plan on it being a lament CD. I mm-hmm. wanted it to be 
I, I love story songs, and I've recorded a few, but I wanted a whole album of nothing but that, just some of my favorite stories mm -hmm. and and everything. And um, after I got them assembled, you know, it's like you begin to realize, yes, there is the 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 hope of Christianity in these stories, but almost every story you tell in this life is full of trouble and lament and right. death and sadness and separation. And so yeah. it's like that's what that CD has become. So um, yeah, sometimes I, mean. I know where I'm going, and sometimes you get the songs assembled, and oh, wow, that's not what I was expecting. Um, well, you ask yourself, like what, CD, what, is Je what is Jesus doing at the moment he's most being used by God? He's lamenting. So lament, I think yeah. you're, you know, I think lament is huge. And the fact that most Christian music hasn't done it is, well, you know, Negro spirituals are all, you know, all about lament. So that was a whole kind of genre that, that was dominated by lament. But, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with us being singing about the victory and, and how we've overcome and that sort of thing. That's a good thing. People need to sing that. But there's a lot of people that are, have burdens and, and we need to help them communicate those. And I've, I'm like you. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that lament hasn't been a bigger part of of Christian music, but it hasn't. I, you know, I feel like at least in the American context, and mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't have any. Uh, you know, I haven't written a thesis on this. This is really yeah. just kind of a feeling. Yeah, I feel like it's the American mentality of microwave Christianity. Yeah. you know, compounded with we're Americans, you know, it's like if I have financial trouble, I can go borrow money. If I have, if I'm sick, we have the best health care in the world. Right. If I lose my job, the government's going to send me a check. And so, you know, there are some, some pains that <laughs> the government can't fix and that's not where you're going to run and all that. Yeah. Like, um, the, the year that we had Buddy and Jeff Taylor come to homecoming, it was the, I think right before we had you, um, we had a late-term miscarriage the night of that concert. Oh, my goodness. And had to sing through that, you know, that, that tragedy. And, wow. you know, it was months of just this cloud over us. And, yeah. um, you know, it's the first time we'd really experienced grief to that degree. Yeah. And where we ran to over and over and over again was Psalm 42. Yeah, you know that's that's where we were. That's where we were living, and you know the the promise of you know why are you cast down, O oh my soul? But hope in God, you will praise me again. Yeah, you know, or or, or, or God saying, you, you know, you will you will praise God again. Um, <clears throat> and so lament has certainly helped us. It helped us get through that. And and uh, depending on who you ask, because I saw some differing opinions on this over the years, but 33% to over half of the Psalms are lament. Right. Numerically, it's the biggest and, group of, of Psalms is lament, right? Yeah. And, and, and by contrast, I did an extensive study and found that approximately 0.00124% of all popular Christian, Christian songs are lament. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, did you man. know that 83.7% of all statistics are made up on the spot? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So. <laughs> you got me. Uh, <laughs> so do you have any any thoughts or opinions on why that is? Because, I mean, I feel like, I mean, we're in a time of national upheaval. Yes. And, you know, it's like a return to, to lament in our music and our worship and in our churches would be a great help, I feel. But, you yeah. know... It's like we're running away from that. We're singing about the 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 goosebumps we get, right? You know, when we're in church, well, and I, not the tears that we sometimes get. Well, I, I've written two books on lament, and one album of lament uh, is called "The Hidden Face of God." And you mm -hmm. talked about the miscarriage. What 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 happened in in our family? My sister, in thirteen months, she lost two babies full term, and the first one was born with multiple. Uh, birth defects, open spine, hydrocephalic, and blind, and he lived two months and died. And then 13 months later, she had a second baby who was perfect. He was a beautiful, perfect little boy, and at two months, he died of a ruptured appendix. And I, I had no, I had nothing, you know, I had no words, uh, you know, 
And so I go to scripture and lo and behold, like you said, a, a majority, a third of the Psalms, um, David is primarily, sometimes Asaph is saying things like, you know, when I needed you the most, that's when you were the farthest from helping me. And you think, oh my goodness, you know, how do you talk to God like that? Well, what, what I realized was Job is this way and Jeremiah does it a lot. And, um, mm-hmm. and like I said, Jesus, you know, when he's on the cross, he's lamenting, why have you forsaken me? And what I realize is that, that sometimes the most precious thing we have to offer God is this, the thing that hurts us the most. So this brokenness that we, our family had over these two infants, you basically, you lift that up as an offering to God and say, you know, I want, you know, I want you to have this. I want you to take this. And, um, I, I just think that's a, a, that's a huge idea that sometimes the most precious thing we have to offer is the thing that hurts us the most. Yeah, I, um, I'm actually really excited because, um, you know, now that I'm serving as music minister at our church, uh-huh. um, you know, the, I, there's that that uh, dearth of lament and yeah. and being able to come in and and express hurts and everything. And and sometimes, you know, depending on what's going on in the nation or in someone's family or a death in the church of a prominent member, it's like you need that. Yeah, and I am I'm. Really, really excited that here over the next um, few weeks, I'm going to be introducing "Come Lift Up Your Sorrows." Yeah, to yeah. to our, uh, our 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 repertoire, and so I feel like that's that's just so needed. Um, and I, you know, I, it had not hit me like this, but you were talking about Jesus lamenting from the cross, and if you think about the Psalms as songs, you know, it's like yes. We think of them as psalms, but they're the book of songs is mm-hmm. the way you know it would have been understood. Um, the fact that Jesus on the cross was singing a song or quoting a song from mm-hmm. his childhood. Right. When, when, when he is suffering, to, to, to find the language that he needs to express to God this hurt, he goes to David's language because, I mean, you know, Psalm 22 or Psalm 13 and... And he's the man of sorrows, and I mean, you can just go on and on um, to, to, to illustrate the way Jesus redemptively moves into suffering. Uh, you know, Lazar- Martha and Mary, when Lazarus dies, I mean, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't shy away from any of that. And one of the most interesting things to me about that whole Lazarus thing in John is that um, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? He, that's why he waits as long as he waits, so that Lazarus is already in the tomb. But when he sees yeah. Mary crying, he cries. Now, I would be rubbing my hands together and thinking, look, I'm going to fix this. Look, don't worry about it, right? Dry those, dry those eyes, <laughs> little, little missy. I'm going I'm to fix everything. But he doesn't do that. He sees her crying, and he can't not cry because he's, he's, he's moved by, you know, by our tears, by our sorrow. And he he stands with us, and you know the man of sorrows. He um, hmm. he he redeems suffering, and and so I think in the church we we basically said, you know, hey, leave that at the door. This we're going to praise the Lord, right? This is a worship service. You leave that, you know, those hurts. You leave that at the door. We're you know we're we're doing something else here. And what we don't realize is that if we if, like you're saying in your church, you're introducing those laments. Um, People are sitting in the pew and they're really hurting and they need language to, to, you know, what am I supposed to do with this broken heart I've gotten? And then uh, you say, you, you, you instruct them, you lift that up to the Lord and he is, you know, he's pleased to enter into that suffering. Yeah, and, you know, we, we as, you know, reformed evangelicals, you know, people, you know, churches that are strong in the word. Mm-hmm. And we we look at what we call the prosperity gospel and yeah. all of that foolishness and heresy and, and lies and and all the disappointment that that's brought to uh, the world, you know, oh, these yeah. promises that are not in the Bible. No. But, you know, it's like I feel like even good strong churches very often have traded the prosperity gospel for prosperity music. Yep. 
Whereas yeah, you can right. only come in, you can only come in and worship in this service if you are blessed. Right. And, uh, you know, I, if you think about the, the Bible in terms of you got the, you know, the books of Moses and then you've got the, you know, the history and then you've got the, the gospels and how it's broken down. The Psalms are in the wisdom literature section. Right. And so is there anything that you take away from that pairing, the fact that Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are all together? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think the point is, um, uh, like Job, you take Job, for example. Job isn't really about wisdom, even though it's in the wisdom writings. Job is about the inadequacy of human wisdom, right? Job's friends yeah. who represent the wisdom schools they got, you know, they, they sort of spout off their, their wisdom, which is basically, Job, you must have done something wrong or this wouldn't have happened to you. It's like the disciples who sinned this man or his parents that he's been born blind. You know, that's basically the best that the wisdom school can come up to with is what they call retributive justice. And at the end, um, you know, Job finally realizes his friends aren't going to, you know, aren't going to be any help. And then God shows up and you think, okay, great. So what does God do? God asks a bunch of more questions that are even harder than any of Job's questions that nobody can answer. <laughs> yep. And so I, I really think w- the wisdom writings are about the inadequacy, except for Proverbs. I mean, there's proverbial wisdom there, but I think it's about the inadequacy of wisdom and how the the answer to all those questions is God showing up. And that's what happens in Job, right? God shows up. The, the incarnation, the answer is... Jesus doesn't come and give us answers per se. He gives us Himself. So God shows up oh, in Job, and you know, um, and 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 He's there. He's present with Job. He doesn't give him all the answers he needs. Job never finds out why, you know, his children died and all the horrible things happened to him. But he he get he doesn't get his children back. He gets God back. And lo and behold, you find out that's that's the really that's the answer you needed. I don't need to be fixed. And I don't need, you know, logical, theological answers to my problem of uh, if I'm a good person, why did I suffer? Of course, we know we're no, no one's good. But um, what I need is him showing up and being present. And, and, and that's what he does. And through, through the Holy Spirit, he shows up. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that's been really big for me because they're, they're, you know, like, you know, you had, you lost a baby. We've lost babies. And in our family and yeah. and uh we we you know we have family members myself included that I struggle with depression oh you know at certain times in my life and and um and it's it really isn't about answers it's about his presence and uh i can say that you know the lord has always been faithful to show up and let me know that i'm not alone mm. it, you know i i just um it went all over me whenever you said um, about, you know, he didn't give Job answers. He gave yeah. him himself. Yeah. And my mind immediately went to thinking about communion. You know, we, yes. we, when we take that, are reminded that Christ gave himself to us and gave himself for us. And one thing that I do, I don't really, I, I don't know. I've never looked at other people, but one of the things that I do when I take communion is I purposefully break the bread in my hands. Yes. You know, I know some people just probably put it in, but it's mm-hmm. like I'm reminding myself Christ was broken and crushed, just like this bread is crushed in my fingers. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's a reminder. I mean, as Jesus gave the bread to the disciples, this is my body, he, he broke it. He didn't give them a whole piece of bread. Mm-hmm. And it's like for us to receive Christ— he had to be broken and for Christ to receive us, we have to be broken. That's good. And I, anyway, you can go write a song on that and uh, I, I, you won't even have to put my name on it, but, um, man, I, I I love that. He, he enters redemptively into our brokenness. I think that that's what it, that's what it's all about. That's what he uses. I mean, if you think, Oh, you know, here's this person, they're gifted. They've got a great voice or they can write songs or they're a great preacher. That's not what he uses. What he uses is your brokenness. Uh, that's mm-hmm. yeah. you know that's that's what I have to offer. And the incredible thing is that he does use that. I'm amazed at, at kind of going back to the prosperity preachers, but this this could yeah. go to a lot of a lot of preachers out there. You know, it's like when they talk about 
you know, uh, their their walk with Christ. You know, it's like you can tell the difference between the preachers that say, I've been through this and this and this, and they're telling stories about how, you know, how they were broken over their own sin and, and God saved them out of this. And then yeah. after they got saved, they went through this. As opposed to, you know, a preacher whose opening illustration is, well, I, uh, you know, this morning a funny thing happened with my coffee. I got the wrong order at Starbucks, and it just reminded me that things don't oh, go right in this life all this time. You know, and that's <laughs> oh, a, that's man. a totally, you know, pulled out of the air illustration. But, yeah. you know, a, a, a preacher that, hasn't been broken to the point that you can tell it from the pulpit, you know, and, and wants to put forward the, the persona of, you know, this is my walk with, with God. And I've got it all together. Yes. Yes. It's, it just makes, it makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Um, cause that's not even our savior. Um, so anyway, that's, that's why it's so good to sit and, you know, and for Christians to talk, that's why I hate, Facebook, you know, it's that the, these conversations don't happen there. No, you know, uh, and and social media, it's it's social media is so unsocial. So oh, that's anyway, good. that's good. Yeah, um, Facebook is that kind of I'm okay, you're okay. Here's a picture of me smiling, <laughs> you know, with yes. my new car, and you know, yeah. And 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 when someone does on social media have the you know the uh, transparency to say I'm really struggling with this, you just like nobody. You know, well, we're going to skip that. I'm not going there, right? I'm not going well, to like that Well, where people put up a meme, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, a candle and uh, God loves you. you yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's so in, it's so impersonal. Yeah. Um, well, one, one other thing I wanted to talk about was, um, and I didn't mean to spend so much time on, on that, but it was just so good, um, is just kind of the the box of Christian music and the boxes that are inside that box. Uh Um, One of my most frequently asked questions over the last 15 years on the phone, undoubtedly, is what style of music do you do? Uh Well, I I got to the point where I just say I'm a musical chameleon because, Mm -hmm. like you, I've done it all almost. You know, there's a few things that I don't touch because... I just can't, don't like it or don't feel I could pull it off. Right. But it seems that most Christians, and, and I'm going to set black gospel to the side because that's kind of its own thing uh-huh. and I'm not in that world. Yeah. But two boxes, and I'm, you, you might already know what I'm going to say, but contemporary and Southern gospel, mm-hmm. it's like those are the ways that people think about uh, about Christian music and really some of my favorite artists nowadays are people who I can't put in a box. Hmm. You know, it's like, where do you put Andrew Peterson? Mm-hmm. I mean, he don't, he don't do seven eleven songs. He does intricate music. He does a variety of instrumentation, uh-huh. you know, your stuff, you've done black gospel, you've done, uh, you know, bluegrass and, and, and all that list. Yeah. And then you've got, um, you know, like buddy green. I mean, what in the world is he? Yeah. <laughs> it's like he, he was in that contemporary world, but he bridged it over into the Southern gospel. And so I I guess with, with such unthought out and somewhat industry-imposed labels, yeah. first of all, do you think they're hep- helpful, and how would you label yourself? Well, the, the industry doesn't like that kind of diversity in one artist because they – and, and I, under, I totally understand that. It's much easier for me to sell – you know, the new Miles Pike record, if it's just gospel or just CCM or just, you know, you can, you can target an audience. Um, I, I, yeah, I got in big trouble for, especially, you know, I, I toured the black gospel choir for a couple of years and, uh, I can remember in one church, you know, people got up and left still. I mean, I thought, gee, this is night, you know, this is 1990 something or 2000, and there are people that are offended that, you know, 10 black people just walked out on their stage to sing a song with me. That's, I, I was, I was speechless, but people are much more comfortable wow. if they're, if you're this one thing and they can label you and, uh, um, whatever. Um, so you feel like uh, that's a yeah, power I, play. Well, I think it, it it's all sorts of things. I mean, for that for that marketing guy at the record company, it just makes his job easier if you're one thing. And I mean, all the way to the other end of the scale where there people are, um, you know, 
prejudice towards their own style of music. You know, I think I think Southern gospel is it, and everything else you know just doesn't matter. Or I think CCM is it, and everything else just doesn't matter. And it, it's an odd thing that people get so committed to a style, but you and I both know that they do. It's just a, kind of a weird thing. For me, it mm-hmm. was just always a matter of, you know, here this particular message is going to be communicated better uh, if it's if it's an upbeat sort of uh, happy message that just sounds like a banjo to me that sounds like bluegrass to me right it just gets communicated (laughs) better that way um come lift up your sorrows you mentioned that song well there's a black gospel choir singing on that because even though it's it it doesn't it's not the style of a negro spiritual it, it it still has that sort of ethos of uh, it's there's this soulful element to it that a, a gospel choir I just thought communicated that better, and um, mm-hmm. so you know I think I think we can I think you and people like you and me try to use the boxes to to communicate and I think I'm I'm good with that, but even though I don't like it I understand why people do what they do in terms of you know I'm just a you know Southern gospel or I'm just this because you know people that matter to me won't listen to me if i play bluegrass or 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 r&b or whatever you know they're just they just like this one style and um but i i'll I'll tell you the greatest musicians i've known uh listen to everything it's 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 amazing how open they are open to stuff that you and i would never be open to just because it just pushes Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know about you but sometimes it just pushes me too far and i can't go there Oh, I think I think people would be shocked at some of the things that I I listen to. I mean, <laughs> and I mean, and and I I mean like in the Christian music world, yeah, yeah. I you know I I listen to everything, and I'm trying to find new artists all the time, and, and yeah. new, you know, like just listening through, uh, you know, how many different versions of a hymn I can find and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. Um, and then um, you know, it's really just in my my later life, kind of some of the old country, uh, you know, listening to John Denver and Glenn yeah. Campbell and Johnny Cash and kind of going back yeah. um, and, and finding some of the, the old stuff. Cause nowadays I, I will say this, the, the modern contemporary Christian uh, box, it, you know, com- and, and I'm con- contrast it with the Southern gospel box. It is pretty doggone narrow as far as how things sound. I mean, uh-huh. you really don't get much variety of instrumentation. Uh, you know, you're you're not going to hear a hurdy-gurdy, a bagpipe, a banjo. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's really just these five instruments and you really can't tell from one song to the next unless you've heard it enough what's fixing to start going. Huh. There's not a whole lot of upbeat. It's really just very narrow. And Southern huh. Gospel, I mean, you've got, I don't know if you'll even know these names, but the Cathedrals, the McCameys, the Crab Family, and, uh, you know, the Primitive Quartet. You know, it's like that's everything from Mountain to Quartet to a family band that's kind of got some some rock and you know rockabilly vibe to them, uh-huh. so it's much broader on the southern gospel field. So as field, so as far as um, you know, just enjoyment of the joy of the music, I mm. really really enjoy that. Hmm. But you know, it, it can get hokey. It has its own weaknesses. So yeah. you know, I, I'm not I'm not here to pick on any particular one, but I, you mentioned John Stott earlier and I, I, I had a quote from him and I, I really don't have a question uh-huh. uh, to go with this, but just want to see if you had any thoughts on it, agree, disagree or whatever. Uh, but he said in an open letter to the contemporary Christian music community, he said, I'm concerned that there exists in contemporary Christian music today a pervasive growing attitude of unteachableness, unaccountability, and a lack of submissiveness to the Word of God and the authority of the local church. Wow. It seems today that anyone who challenges the CCM industry as to its current practices and alliances according to the standard of God's Word is labeled as divisive, condemning, and unloving. While those who are constantly operating outside of the purview of God's Word are labeled as innovative, visionary, and kind, tolerance is not a spiritual gift. What a great line. Wow. What a great line. Tolerance is not a spiritual gift. It is the distinguishing mark of postmodernism, and sadly, it has permeated the very fiber of Christianity. 
Why is it that those who have no biblical convictions or theology to govern and direct their actions are tolerated and the standard or truth of God's word rightly divided and applied is dismissed as extreme opinion or legalism? Wow. <laughs> Yowza. Yeah, there's not... There, what do you say? What do you even say to that? <laughs> oh, Yeah. And, and 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 he wrote this to you know CCM, but yeah. really just wow. Christian music as a whole being poured out of America. What wow. in the world? I've what never, in the world are you doing? I've never I've never heard that. Well, taking into consideration because well, he wasn't talking about you. Well, <laughs> taking it. Well, you know, you when you hear that, you sort of tremble and you think, let let me go back and double check and make sure you know I'm, uh, there's I have some resemblance to you know the the positive part of what he's talking about but then you just consider who john stott is probably the foremost biblical expositor you know i mean at least one of the top three of our era and uh wow i, ne- I never heard that letter before i never heard i never heard that he said those things but wow yeah it makes me want to go find the whole thing yeah i just yeah, came I'm, across it recently i'm sure um, i'm sure it's easy to google and find it but he it, his, you know, you and I can sit here and kind of moan about how bad things are getting, but he he put it into into a biblical perspective and and uh, almost a prophetic sort of uh, challenge. Well, we are out of time for this episode, and so be on the lookout for part two of this conversation. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this time that we spent together. I know that I have, and I pray that it has made you more appreciate the forms and functions of worship and the gifted people who help facilitate it. Continue the conversation by emailing any questions or suggestions you may have through my website at www.milespikemusic.com. That's M-I-L-E-S-P-I-K-E music.com. Support this endeavor by rating, reviewing, and sharing. If you want to go the extra mile, then I would greatly appreciate it if you purchase some digital downloads or hard copies of my music through the website and patronize our guest in any way that you can. Websites and details to that end will be in the show notes. This program plans to release every other week, so keep your eye out for the next edition of the Miles Pike Podcast. Till next time, worship wisely. Worship wisely.